Today we're going to talk about how you're going to get your first 1,000 customers. And to do that, I'm going to tell you two stories. One's good, one's bad. They're both about pizza. But first, I want to talk about depth. My mom's an architect and an artist. In the summers growing up, she'd always take me and my sister to museums all over New York City. She definitely wanted to give us some culture, but also she bought memberships so that for one price we had unlimited visits. It was a built-in activity, and given that my sister and I were irrationally terrified of the security guards at the Met, it was kind of like having a babysitter, too. If we were good, my mom would buy us a soft pretzel from the street vendors when we left. We'd sit on the steps or find a bench and eat with the sun on our faces, having successfully escaped the security guards to live another day. I don't remember much about what we saw in the museums, but I remember that. Anyway, I always used to get a kick out of the art pieces my mom would stop in front of. They always seem totally random to me. A giant painting with two block colors or a tiny postcard-sized watercolor that looked like mush. She'd stare and stare and stare. Sometimes she'd take out a notepad and jot something down. Once, when I was a little bit older and definitely a bit of a jackass, I walked up to her while she was looking at one painting that to me just looked like a solid color. I think it was purple. I whispered jokingly, this one's brilliant. She completely missed the joke and without taking her eyes off the painting said, absolutely, you can just feel the pain coming through, can't you? It's incredible, right? She went on and on about brush strokes and how you could tell which parts were purposefully left unfinished and how the color was at odds with other paintings by that artist. I didn't have the heart to tell her I just saw purple. Entrepreneurs ask me all the time how to acquire their first 50 or 100 or 1,000 customers. They ask me if they should do the unscalable things they heard about from Paul Graham, if they should pay for advertising to start to understand customer acquisition costs and lifetime value, or if they should do it all organically to show investors there's momentum. The end goal always feels the same, though. It's a box they're ticking off so they can get to something else. They know startups need to equal high growth, fast growth, and that'll get them whatever, an acquisition, funding, their parents' approval. They have no idea they're paying lip service to the single hardest thing they'll have to do, and they're completely missing the point. Growth comes when you're ready for growth. This isn't about better copy or targeting on a Facebook ad. This is about depth. Whenever they ask, I always tell them that to acquire customers, the right customers, they first have to see something in the purple. I'll let that sit for a second so they think I'm working with a micro-dosing LSD startup or something. Then I'll say I'm just joking and we'll talk about pizza. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head over to gettacklebox.com, and we'll get you all set up. Also, if you want an Idea to Startup t-shirt, something we're making now, post something like, if anyone's looking for a podcast, Idea to Startup is crazy good, or something more original than that, with our podcast link. Email me a screenshot at brian at gettacklebox.com, and I'll get you all set up with a t-shirt. Easy peasy. Back to it. The first time I heard about Push for Pizza was in 2016 at New York Tech Day. New York Tech Day is a giant event that used to take place at the Javits Center. Startups would all buy a booth and tens of thousands of tech people, investors, whoever, would walk through and see all the new startups. I splurged on a booth for a big tackle box unveiling. We were about to start doing our cohorts and I wanted to get my first 100 customers. I manned the booth with a friend who for some reason volunteered to stand with me for hours while we pitched and signed up hundreds of strangers with startup ideas. 
you've certainly been to these types of industry conferences before, and unfortunately, you've probably worked a booth at one of them too. By 11.30, everyone's three cups of that stale, fake Starbucks coffee deep and starting to hop into the food line to grab that fire Festival-style turkey sandwich when someone dressed in a giant pizza costume walked down the middle of the conference. They had easily 15 amazing-smelling pizzas, and they slapped them down on their booth. People flocked. They grabbed the flyers the company had laid out just so they didn't look like total animals, and most of them downloaded the app. Fresh pizzas kept coming every 15 minutes for the next two hours. Push for Pizza was the talk of the conference. Push for Pizza did exactly what it sounds like it does. They had an app with a giant button, and that button allowed you to order pizza. You could choose the number of pies and either pepperoni or cheese, but that was it. You didn't know who it came from. You just pressed a button, and pizza would presumably arrive later. Push for Pizza absolutely blew up. I know how stupid this sounds now, but they got their first thousand customers in a day. I remember hearing people, smart people, speculate about how brilliant this was, how it removed friction and could extend anywhere, push for Italian food, push for grocery basics. I distinctly remember someone talking about push for condoms. People were enamored. The push team was moving fast and breaking things, creating the Amazon dash button for stuff from small businesses. What people loved was how Push for Pizza didn't have to get their hands dirty. They sat on top of everything. When you ordered, they just leveraged the Grubhub API and pinged the nearest pizza shop. Grubhub was already taking 30% of the order for processing and delivery, and Push took another sliver. The businesses they were taking money from were literally nameless. The core insight here was that the pizza shop didn't matter. Pizza, at the end of the day, was pizza, and the people running them Whatever. Pizza was the jumping off point. It wasn't chosen because there was something they understood about the industry. It was chosen because lots of people ordered pizza for delivery, and it could theoretically propel them horizontally to other segments and markets. Pizza started the race. I don't remember the grossness of all of this coming through at the time. If anything, I might have even thought it was clever. But now that grossness is obvious. They were treating small businesses like utilities. Nameless, interchangeable parts you could always skim a bit more from. They could always tighten their belt so you could make a customer's life slightly easier. I checked in on Push for Pizza and couldn't find much past 2017 when their Twitter feed said that they had entered their second vertical, Push for Weed. They'd invented a pizza box that you could roll up into a bong type thing. After that, crickets. Earn the depth. The first time I heard about Slice was different from the first time I heard about Push for Pizza. I don't really remember the specific first time, but I do remember a friend telling me that I should always order pizza from Slice because it was better for the pizzerias. That person's family owned a pizzeria in Staten Island, and he said that they always told their regulars to use it. I just assumed they charged less to undercut DoorDash or Postmates or whoever else, and they'd be gone whenever their venture funding ran out. A billion dollars of pizza orders later, it's safe to say I didn't quite understand what they were up to. Slice was started by Alir Sella back in 2010. To know why he started it, you need to know two things about him. And yes, I got caught in a pretty deep rabbit hole on Slice and we're about to go down it. Bear with me. Back to the two things. First, his family is the pizza business. He comes from three generations of pizza makers and he estimates that there are 30 pizzerias in his extended family. 
And second, he didn't go into the pizza business, at least not at first. He went the tech route, building a startup called Nerdforce. It was kind of similar to Geek Squad. He'd go around to small businesses fixing their tech and ended up spending a ton of time building and managing their websites. He scaled that business and sold it, then found himself with nothing to do. While trying to figure out what was next, family members and friends who owned those pizza shops started reaching out. He'd just been building websites for small businesses for years. Could he build one for their pizza shop? And he did. And he did a few more. And he got more interested in the tech and pizza vertical. But he wondered what you're probably wondering and what I wondered when I got to this part of the story too. How big is that space? The answer is a resounding very. Pizza is a mind-numbingly huge business. Specifically, it's a $47 billion with a B a year business in the U.S. alone. We're not talking frozen pizza. We're not talking gas station pizza. These are businesses for pizza. I have the same question you're thinking now too, though. Aren't most of those just Domino's, Pizza Hut, all the other chains? Alir calls these, quote, big pizza. And again, the answer isn't what you think. There are 77,000 pizza restaurants in the U.S. and, quote, big pizza makes up just 20 to 22,000 of those. The majority of these pizza shops are independent businesses or small chains. Alir saw these stats and got interested. We talk about Venn diagrams for founders a lot how the best businesses tend to be built by people who seem like they've been subconsciously preparing to build this company for a decade, who've got disparate skill sets and knowledge bases that don't look like anyone else's. These allow them to see problems and build solutions other people couldn't. It also gives them a bit of a buffer. Since no one else sees it, they can go through all the steps of building a company and make as many mistakes as they want because no one else has started and isn't gonna catch up to them. This is no exception. Between pizza sauce seemingly running through his veins, his tech skills, and his time building out websites for small businesses, there just can't be anyone more suited to build something in this space than Alir. And so he did. In 2010, he started building Slice, though it was called something different at the time. What he saw when he looked at the painting that was the pizza space is, as he calls it, a reverse franchise. He'd basically batch all of these pizza shops together the ones reinventing the wheel trying to get a website built, a POS set up, a marketing plan, branded pizza boxes, and all the other things that have nothing to do with making great pizza, pull them under one theoretical roof. He'd build a tech stack that could rival Domino's and roll it out to all the mom and pops. When you buy a Domino's franchise, it's turnkey. They plug you in and flip the switch. You've immediately got all the power of that massive company behind you, the app, the name, the marketing, the supply chain, the pizza tracker, on and on and on. But, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, you've still got to eat and sell Domino's pizza. I love Domino's. I have a whole podcast and I've wrote an entire article for Fast Company on how much I love Domino's. It's one of the 10 best performing stocks since 2010. It's one of the best run and innovative businesses in the US. And it's a low cost staple for families across the country. But I don't want to eat it every day. Slice would set up small businesses with all the pieces you would theoretically get when you start a Domino's franchise, except for the pizza. If you're opening up a pizza shop for Deep Dish in Queens, you focus on that. Slice will then build the foundation of a successful pizza shop around you. It's the complete opposite of Push for Pizza's thesis, and the thesis that drives a lot of the broader tech delivery apps. For Slice, the pizza does matter. 
In fact, it's the only thing that matters. It's what's different. The rest can be built into a tidy stack with best practices that are constantly evolving to get the most out of that pizza. The pitch is so compelling you start wondering how Domino's will be able to compete. We've reached the part of the podcast where I gotta pour a cold glass of water on my head. I love a good business and Slice hit me right in the sweet spot. But all babies are cute. And you can see how this baby might get ugly fast. Changing behavior is tough, particularly getting people who are stereotypically, and I'm sure not in all cases, but most of the time, relatively tech illiterate. At its core, Slice has a value prop a lot of you probably have too. It's one of the most common value props we hear from startups. Big business tools or capabilities for small businesses. But the problem with small businesses is that they're small. They're usually running at capacity. There isn't money to spend on something new, And even if you're giving it away free, there isn't time to learn how to use it and fit it into their current workflow. Our founders are continually surprised at how uninterested most small businesses are at a free trial. Time is something they don't have, at least not without trust. So we've got to build some. Trust is a seesaw. On one side is traction, on the other side is relationship. Either you've got a bunch of traction, testimonials, press, funding, whatever, or you've got a relationship with that customer somehow. If you've got traction, the relationship doesn't matter that much. If you've got a relationship, traction matters less. If you've got neither, you're screwed. Startups begin, by definition, with no traction, so you'll need to build the relationship first. The best way to do that is through specificity and selection. There's nothing more powerful than choosing someone and having it not sound like bullshit. Telling someone that because of who they are, they've got potential. That's all any of us really want, to be picked. And to do that well, you need to mean it because people have really good BS detectors around this stuff. Alir's first customers came through conversations he had in person. He knew the industry deeply and was able to talk specifics, industry terms, suppliers, that sort of thing. Each problem he was able to describe at a deeper level than anyone who wasn't in the pizza business probably bought him a few more minutes. Specifics about the industry, things outsiders wouldn't know, compound. Trust isn't zero sum, it's a game of ping pong. It builds as you go back and forth. The long-term vision Alir had in his mind, the reverse franchise model, wasn't something he'd be able to implement immediately. And it had to be totally overwhelming to pizza shops that are used to taking orders by phone or fax. So he started by pitching loyalty over discovery. He'd simply get you more orders from existing customers. If you wanted that, he'd help you with it, and he'd do it without touching your existing workflow. He figured out how to turn online orders into faxes, things these customers were used to, so he could use his system to generate orders, but the pizza shops would get the faxes they were used to. No effort on the side of the pizza place, staying completely inside their workflow and allowing him to show his value. This bought him more time. It allowed him to show a little bit more of the stack, the relationship side of the seesaw was being backed up by some traction. Ping pong. This type of growth takes time. It reminds me of the Warren Buffett quote when he's talking to Jeff Bezos. Bezos says something along the lines of, your investment thesis is so simple, and you're one of the richest men in the world. Why doesn't everyone copy you? And Warren responds, because nobody wants to get rich slow. Interacting with customers one at a time, selling them on value, being patient with a long-term vision, This stuff is hard. Having a North Star of signing up the 40,000 plus pizza shops 
many of which will likely have to be done face-to-face, sounds overwhelming. But slice reminds me a bit of a Chinese bamboo tree. A Chinese bamboo tree takes about five years to reach 90 feet tall, but the way it grows is unique. For nearly the first five years, nothing happens. The roots are growing and spreading, but the tree is invisible. Then, in one month, the tree will explode up to three feet per day until it reaches 90 feet tall. Slice did the hard work of understanding their customer for years, building up the infrastructure while being uncompromising in who they were helping, the pizza shops. That was the core of it all. They created a structure where the business owner has the best possible business they can have, which ends up creating the best experience for the customer. Building for that and faith in that over the long term creates the type of company Slice has become today. They made a billion dollars in GMV over the first 10 years of the business, and they'll make a billion dollars in 2021 alone. There's that Chinese bamboo tree. They built a product for small business owners at the expense of hyper-fast growth, which probably would have been fleeting, during a period of time when big tech companies were obsessed with taking advantage of small companies to spur that hyper-fast growth. And now they've got over 14,000 locations, more than double that of Domino's, and they still charge a flat rate of $1.95 per delivery, while Postmates and DoorDash take 30%. And they're able to do this because they're vertical. The whole point of the business is to make the pizza store as good as it can possibly be, and they make money off of that, off of volume. They don't have to gouge like Postmates and DoorDash do. And the final version of the product is being realized. They're taking over pizza shops, handling everything. Branding and logo, box design, marketing, point of sale, all optimized for what they've seen run and work best in the space already. The owner is left to make pizza in a business that works. Where everyone saw purple, Slice saw something else. I didn't set out for this whole podcast to be on Slice. I read a substack I'll pop in the show notes about how a bunch of famous companies have gotten their first thousand customers, and I was going to do a couple of quick stories on a few of them. But... I thought Slice's story was by far the most interesting and obviously ended up going down a pretty deep rabbit hole on them. And I thought it also helped people through that how do I get my first thousand customers question. Because what's important about that isn't speed or growth hacks, but depth. Really knowing who those first thousand customers are, how you're going to find them, what channels you can leverage to build trust understanding something about them other people don't, and making sure each customer creates a new level of transparency into the problem. That's how you build a company. So to wrap up a few things on Slice, here's what I thought they did particularly well. One, the founder's a force. He stayed consistent on his vision to build for pizza shop owners and was able to see that the fundamentals of a pizza shop are at their core fantastic. He could build a business around that. I spent two days trying to think of another reverse franchise opportunity like pizza, and I just can't. I think Gusto's done a good job. Airbnb comes to mind as well. I don't see many others. Two, vertical can get huge. The playbook for venture and huge businesses is to start vertical, then go horizontal. Well, Slice has raised close to $100 million from the best VCs out there, and they have no plans of leaving pizza. You can build a big business in a vertical space. Three, to sell early before you've got any traction, build trust by staying inside existing workflows. Solve a core problem without forcing the customer to change anything. If this sounds tough, it's because it is. Figure it out. And four, the Venn diagram works. 
At the core of the most interesting companies I've found are always founders sitting in the middle of a unique Venn diagram. My advice for any founder searching for ideas remains the same. Learn something unique, a skill, a market, a business model, a culture that you can pair with your existing skills. Smash them together and see what comes. And now, I need a slice of pizza. Have a great week. This is the Idea Startup Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head over to gettacklebox.com.